Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoy this week's homily. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to United. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am glad to see you this morning as we continue in our series, Identity, where we're not only looking at who we are as individuals, who we are as people, who we are as God's children, as God's created, but also who we are as a church and kind of where we're pushing forward, where we're moving into this thing that we call a fledgling new church here in the city of Seattle. So that's kind of where we have been and kind of where we're heading and where we're moving and talking about this morning. The other day, I was hanging out at KEXP, which I want to do because it's a wonderful coffee shop. Because for those of you that are the uninitiated for what the coffee that is at KEXP, it's something different every single month. I'm not kidding. Every month they have a new roaster come in from literally around the world as fine purveyors of beautiful, wonderful, tasty, morseled coffee. And some of the menu for those places as well. But who cares about that? It's about the coffee. It's about the goodness of the, of the caffeinated beverage that you get to have in your hand. I, I can't tell you all of the beautiful and wonderful things that I have had at KEXP. I'm trying to be an evangelist for what they do there in this space because I want you to hang out with me there more so that I have more reason to go than I already do. That's an open invitation that I make at this moment. So look me up, connect with me, ask me out for coffee, and that's where we'll meet, because it's beautiful, wonderful, amazing. Anyhow, you also see some really beautiful things in the gathering space that is KXP. Like, you see some beautiful artwork that they put up from time to time. There have been some really, like, poignant, artistic works that have been just lining the walls of this space. There's also, like, a really great vinyl Vinyl store shop, Lightly Attic Records has like that going on there. Like there's just so many wonderful, beautiful things that happen there, but you also are inundated with some really interesting people. Like it's also a really great place to go and people watch as you see people left and right just kind of pop up and you, you get to like learn about our city just by people watching as probably hundreds of people walk through the space in the course of three to four hours, which is how long I hang out there. So again, look me up, let's hang out, let's be there, let's have this space. But the other day when I was there, I saw this guy, and as he was standing there, he was wearing this like really cool looking like denim jacket, and I was like, dude, if I could pull that off, that'd be awesome. Denim's not my thing. However, on the back of it, it was not just a denim jacket, but it was kind of one of those like homemade like DIY denim jackets where like you spray paint on the back like a message, right? Something that you want the world to know about you or your thing or where it is that you position yourself on something. And oftentimes they're really, you know, funny little statements kind of thing that you might see that people will spray paint on the back of their jackets throughout the city. But this one was really interesting. It it just said in bold capital letters, not enough, period. Not 
enough. And I sat there with that for a moment as I looked at him and as I kind of looked at his disposition and it began to like, in some respects, like psychoanalyze the guy a little bit. Like, like, are you saying that about yourself? Are you saying that about other things? And I kind of felt like as it was going on that that's kind of something that he was saying about himself. The way he was carrying himself, the way in which he was talking to other people, the way in which he was just so downtrodden and downcast and downfaced. It was almost as if the back of his jacket was in some respect a call for help. I'm not enough. And I thought about that for a little bit. Uh, Not just about him, but about myself. Like the message on the back of his jacket began to quell up in with me those questions of, am I enough? Right? Because that's one of those seeds of questions, those seeds of doubt, those seeds of identity that that kind of sit in our heart an awful lot. Wondering about who we are as humans, about people as individuals. Am I really enough? Or is there something missing with me or from me? Am I a whole person or not? Am I enough? I think we have these questions a lot. I I think these questions pop up in our day-to-day lives, especially if we've started a new job and we have questions about whether or not, like, am I really qualified for this thing? Did I somehow slip through that interview process? Like, did they do their due diligence on me? Because I'm looking at my other colleagues around the office, and what? Like, no. Like, do I belong here? Do I We have all of those sorts of questions, right? Like, hmm. Or or maybe for some of us, it's like, I'm about to be a new parent. Or I am a new parent. Or I've had a kid for a while. And am I enough? Like, am I going to be able to do this thing? Am I going to be able to handle what it's like to have a brand new baby? Am I going to be enough? Am I going to be a good parent? Is, is who I am good enough to, tra- like, to, like, to transpose onto this life that is in front of me that I am now all of a sudden responsible for caring for? That I am supposed to nurture and grow? And for those of you that are new parents or about to be new parents, we're a parent of a six-year-old. That question never goes away. Just so you know. Consider that some comfort, I guess, right? It never goes away. Or what about like your dating life, right? Like you, you walk through like what it means to date and the questions of like, I, am, I, am I good enough? Like, am I in a good enough relationship for who this person is to me? Or do I treat them like dirt? Am I like, maybe I deserve less than this. Or we think about it in terms of just our own general life, comparing ourselves to others. Like, I'm just not good enough. Like, I am not enough for this world and for this life. What's really fascinating is that this question is not only not new, but it's something that has happened all the way back in Scripture. to literally Genesis 4. 
Like we're talking the, the way back machine of scripture, right? You go all the way back to the very first sibling relationship. Well, you've got Adam and Eve, and then they begat, if you go back to the King James, they begat Cain and Abel. Cain was the older, Abel was the younger, and Cain literally compared himself to his brother. Never felt as if he measured up, especially in his relationship to God, especially in his in the eyes of God, never felt for a second like he measured up. He always felt as if he were less than, always felt as if he were not enough. And so what did Cain do to his brother? He murdered him. He killed him, which is a fascinating turn of events in the course of scripture. I, I love how the poet Rilke says this. He says, murder, mur <laughs> murder came before the first death. Murder came before the first death. That what took place in Cain's heart as he looked and as he explored and as he tried to experience what this thing was that was going on inside of him, he dreamt in his heart, he dreamt in his mind and his life what it would be like to murder his brother. Murder came before the first death. You see, I think our feelings of inadequacy are deleterious and murderous to others, and even ourselves. Let me say that one more time. Our feelings of inadequacy are, can, can, can lead to deleterious or even murderous outcomes towards others and even ourselves. I think this is why Jesus is so important in the story. This is why Jesus is so important to us as a people. It's why Jesus is so important to who we are and where we're moving. It's because Jesus says something vastly different to us than what Cain felt in his life. Than what we oftentimes feel as not enough in our scope of relationship. The, the mark... I want to read this to us. The mark of the human experience in Jesus is discovering again and again that our lives, even in the deepest darkness, are always at a beginning. That we are always becoming. The mark of the human experience in Jesus is discovering again and again that our lives, even in the deepest darkness, are always at a beginning, that we are always becoming. Sit with that for a moment. Breathe that in for just a second. We are always at a beginning, and we are always Becoming. I'm so fascinated with the story of the disciples. 
that, that Jesus, in his life, that he went around after 30 years of living on this earth, went around and started to handpick different people to say, hey, I believe in you. I literally think that you can do what I do, that you can be who I am. He went around not to the most famous people in the land, but the very first people that he called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, fishermen, like fishermen. Men that more than likely had been passed over in their lives for other things and decided to fall back into the family business and say, okay, we're going to be fishermen. And along comes Jesus and says, hey, Peter, Andrew, James, John, you're with me. A rabbi, a, a guy who is known in the land as a teacher, someone who is going to be this great religious figure or maybe a minor religious figure. And these guys from their childhood had been passed over time and time again by other rabbis who said, yes, I think there's something in you. I think you could possibly potentially be a rabbi. Passed over time and time again. And here's Jesus, a rabbi, comes to them and says, no, 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 no. There's something in you. Fisher. He, he then goes to Matthew. Matthew's perhaps the most fascinating character because in the book of Matthew chapter 9 is where it's the calling of Matthew. The, the, the moment where Jesus says to him, come follow me. Come do what I do. I think there's something in you. But Matthew's a tax collector. In, in Israel at that time, as, as they were oppressed by the Roman Empire, Matthew was literally working for the Roman emperor. He was a traitor to the Jews. And Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, you, come follow me. I think you can do this. thing." A man who would have been spat on, a man who was looked at negatively in all the land and all the world, except for by the Romans was plucked. And what's fascinating about Matthew's story is that he positions it in the midst of other miracles. His story just pops up like there's a miracle before it, and then he says, I was called by Jesus, and there was a miracle after it. It's almost as if he's sandwiching it in between these two miracles to say, what Jesus did by coming to me and saying, hey, come and do what I do, come follow me, that's a miracle. Like, I'm not enough. I am not enough to do this. But here is Jesus calling me. Others that he called, like, like Simon uh, and Judas, were both revolutionaries. Like literal terrorists against the Roman Empire. They carried with them weapons. And at any moment would cut down a Roman, a Roman soldier or centurion if he could along the way. They were revolutionaries believing that they could overturn the empire in a violent sort of fashion. And Jesus says, hey, I know you think that that's what you can do, but I got a different way. And why don't you come follow me? Because I think you could do what I do. And they said, yes, let's, let's do that. We'll follow this man and we'll do this thing. Jesus has taken these men and for three and a half years, spends time with them day in and day out, showing them what it means to be fully human, showing them what it means to be truly human, showing them what it means to not only follow him, 
but be the people that God created us to be. And they did. They did. But that's jumping a little bit ahead of the story. Because in Acts chapter 1, there's this really fascinating moment in the story of their lives. After three and a half years of being with Jesus, three and a half years of being with him day in and day out, Jesus is summarily executed. They freak out and they're like, oh, what? Like, this is not what we thought it was going to be. Everything is over from this point forth. Like, this is not at all what we thought it was going to be. And then Jesus, like, just appears to them in the upper room. He, he comes back to life. He's resurrected. And he says, hey, fellas, how's it going? And they're like, what? <laughs> this is not what we, huh? Like, is he going to walk through walls? Like, is this a ghost? Like, what is going on? They had all of these sorts of questions, like, budding and building within him. And Jesus, like, is in and out of their lives for the next 40 days. Like, for the next 40 days, he appears and he disappears, and he appears and he disappears, because he's making his way throughout the land, doing all sorts of really crazy, cool things that we have no idea what's going on. But he's in and out of their lives for the next 40 days, showing them, and in some respects, showing them that, hey, I don't have to be around all the time for you to do these things that I told you you could do. And in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 is perhaps one of the most fascinating parts of Scripture. Jesus says to them, this is, this is what he says to them. It's so crazy cool. Jesus looks at them. You also put your bookmark in the right spot. I forgot. There you go. Acts chapter 1. Jesus says to them, well, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He then said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You guys and all the people that will come after you are going to be my witnesses throughout the entire world. Like, you're going to start here in Jerusalem, where I've left you, but then you're going to move to Judea, which is a little bit bigger of a geographic river area, into Samaria, into the ends of the earth. You're going to go everywhere and do these really ridiculous and remarkable things that you've always been doing as long as you have been with me. And then get this. After he said this, this is verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus ascends into heaven. Jesus, with his last word, says to them, you guys are enough. This whole time that we have been spending time together for three and a half years, I have been showing you over and over and over again that you, you are enough. That within you, you hold the secrets to the kingdom of God. That within you, you hold this power within the kingdom of God to 
do these amazing and beautiful and wonderful things. You can do what I do. You are enough. And with his last words, he says, peace out. It's <laughs> just gone. It's the craziest thing because if I'm a disciple at this point and Jesus literally disappears from my sight, right? Like, I, I, like I, I'm, I'm curious about the context of that verse, right? He, was, he, was, he ascended into heaven and a cloud hid him. I'm like, did Jesus like levitate? Have you seen David Blaine do that stuff, right? Like, like have you seen him, like David Blaine will literally like levitate in front of people? I'm like, that would be really cool to do. That creeps me out, but that would be really cool. I talked to a magician friend that told me he knows how to do that, but has never been able to do it. He knows the tricks of the trade, right? So I'm sitting here thinking, like, that is crazy. Okay, so it's a magic trick. So I'm sitting here thinking, like, okay, so, like, Jesus is, like, levitating in front of them. And if I'm a disciple at this point, I'm like, where is he going? He didn't say anything about this. Like, did he? Did he say anything about, like, this fact that he's going to just disappear and no longer be with us? That he's going to leave us on our own? Like, Jesus, in the midst of this, says, hey, basically, if I stick around, if I hang out with you guys, like, you're never going to do what you're capable of doing. You're never going to be fully the people that God created you to be. You're never, ever going to be fully, truly human if I stay with you. Because you'll always look to me to do what you can do. So in the midst of this, Jesus ascends into heaven and says, you got this. You have got this. Do what I do. You are enough. And if you don't think you are, guess what? I blessed you with this power called the Holy Spirit, which happens in Acts chapter 2, where like the Holy Spirit just kaboom, like descends on people, like all sorts of awesome and weird and strange things happen in that story of things. And maybe we'll talk about that another day. But it's amazing. Like the power of the Holy Spirit descends and all of a sudden you are enough. We are are enough, that that is what the Christian life, of what it means to follow and pursue Jesus is about, is that you are enough. You've got this. We've got this. Jürgen Moltmann is a German theologian, philosopher, brilliant man, who's still alive today. In his book, The Source of Life, he says this, The ultimate reason for our hope is not to be found at all in what we want, wish for, and wait for. The ultimate reason is that we, you and me, we are wanted and wished for and waited for by God. That's the context of what he's talking about. That God wants you, that God has wished for you, and that God continues to wait for you to be who it is that he called us to be. These people that are truly human, that are fully human, that have eschewed the curse of Cain and Abel, of this belief of seed that is within us that says, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, and doggone it, people don't like me. SNL Stuart Smalley from the 80s, or early 90s. 
okay. But that we are actually good enough. That God truly believes in us and has given us the power to go and be the church. To be a people who love unflinchingly with all that we have. Who find comfort in one another and provide comfort for others. Who are a people of peace and provide peace and make peace for others. That this is what it means to be fully human, to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who sees what it means for us to truly be who it is that we were created and called to be. The author, Sarah Bessie, she is a former religion journalist as well, but she lives up in Vancouver, British Columbia. She's Canadian. She wrote this the other day, and it's a very beautiful sort of benediction in some respects. It's a, it's a prayer. It's a charge. It's, it's something to kind of hold on to and rest in. And so I want to I read this short little benediction to us and over us as a people who are struggling to search and find our identity, not only as Christians, as humans, but as a church, as we pursue that together and what that means in community. This is what she writes, and this is the prayer that I want to, to end with. Rest in your God-breathed worth. Stop holding your breath, hiding your gifts, ducking your head, dulling your roar, distracting your soul, stilling your hands, quieting your voice, and satiating your hunger with the lesser things of this world. You are enough. Amen. Amen. Let us be a people who center ourselves deeply around the story of Jesus, who continues to call into us, to remind us over and over that we are enough, that God truly wants us, wishes for us, waits for us, and believes in us, that we can be a people and a church that makes a difference where we go, and who we are, but that we rest ourselves inward in understanding who we are. In Jesus' name, let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his story. And we thank you that he believes in us and continually calls into us that we are enough. Father, remind us of that, not only this morning, but tomorrow morning, and the next morning, and the next morning after that, that we can rest assured and solidly in this belief that you love us, that you believe in us, that you know us, that you care for us. Father, let us be changed by this story. Let us be changed 
and transform more and more into the likeness of your son. And may we explore more fully and more deeply what this means for us as a people. It's in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.